worship, hey, praise. Just really enjoy. Um, I, I worship and praise at home, uh, and it's brilliant. I love it. And God's there, but, you know, just to come with the corporate body, with the people of God, and just to praise as well and worship God, it just um, it also adds to that which God has been doing in my life, you know, just to do that together. Hey, we're going to release our young people's group, our YPs, 12 and 13-year-olds, the capable Ben and Naomi are going to take you guys. So all 12 and 13-year-olds, you're welcome to go. There you go, William, you can, whichever way, you don't mind. Hey, welcome to church. Nice to have you here, Dean. There's some new people. In, I've just met a couple of people new in the church this morning. Great to have you here. I know Pastor Malcolm welcomed you, but good to have you here. Um, I want to turn this morning to a great passage. Um, uh, it's a great uh, situation. A story unfolds. John chapter 4. Oh, what a... The, whole whole gospel of John is amazing, but just John chapter 4, um, there's some incredible... There's a story that unfolds there, folks. And, and there's a group of people called the Samaritans that will be ever, ha- ever thankful and happy that Jesus reached out, uh, not just to one of, their, one of those ladies called the, the woman at the well or the woman of Samaria, but reached out literally through this story you see. It wasn't just her that really was touched by what happened, that conversation between the woman at the well and Jesus that day, but it really touched the whole people group of the Samaritan tribe. It was an amazing incident. I want to turn your attention. I won't read the whole story of the conversation between Jesus and this woman from Samaria, um, but I want to read just some of the verses in John chapter 4, 19 to 24. Um, can I just set it up by saying that Jesus was on his way to Galilee and he was in Judea? Can you just see where Judea is on the map there? I just want to give you a geographical understanding. Is that cool? This is the, this is the side of the Mediterranean Sea. If you look at the bottom left, you'll see the little red square. That's where we're talking about. And the bigger map, of course, is the time of Jesus. And he wanted to go from Judea up to Galilee and he passed through Samaria. Can you see that? Pretty clear, isn't it, when you get that picture? Um, today, the, that particular um, part of the land doesn't look like that. Um, it's not named that, but um, that's what it was like in Jesus' day. So Jesus wants to pass through. He needed to go through. It says in Scripture that he needed to go through Samaria. It wasn't just a, a, a desire. He just didn't want to stop over and kind of uh, um, you know, meet with some friends. He needed to go, it says in Scripture. He needed to go through Samaria. Um, and that was pretty significant because um, I think Jesus understood that there was a divine appointment awaiting him in Samaria at the well, which was called Jacob's Well, that particular day at midday. He needed to be there because not only just a lady's life was going to be changed, a whole people group, their lives were going to be changed forever because of this one meeting. It was an amazing situation. Um, she was from the town of um, S-Y-C-H-A-R. Can you see it there? How do you pronounce it? Sikha? Sounds like you, something you do to your dog on Sikha, you know, I don't know. That'll do, Sikha. Is that cool? Um, so she came from that um, little township there uh, in Samaria. So uh, let's read John chapter 4, 19 to 24. It says, The woman said to him, Jesus, hope you got your Bibles, John chapter 4, 19 to verse 24. She calls him Sir, which is pretty good because before that she didn't, she was starting to respect Jesus, because the conversation had gone on for quite a while before this incident, okay? They talked about a number of things, but um, she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, and then she, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Which mountain is she talking about? She's pointing to mountain, Mount Gezerim. 
Gerizim. Diane, what did you say? Gezerim. She was pointing to Mount Gezerim, where Samaritans had built a temple, and they, wor- they worship on that temple. So she's pointing up there, and she says, Our fathers worshipped this mountain, on this mountain. You Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship, because that's where the, the temple of David, you know, uh, that Solomon built uh, in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. Wow. Which is a true statement, and I'll explain why. We know what we worship. Is Jesus, you know, like inflated view of himself? No, he's, he's not. He's just stating some facts to her. We worship what we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Once again, is Jesus trying to highlight, wow, we got where the ants' pants? No, he's just highlighting a fact because um, the salvation did come through the Jewish bloodline through Jesus Christ. But the hour, verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in what? Truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus says it twice within a couple of verses. Whenever you see an emphasis in scripture where they emphasize the same words again and again or at least twice, you know that there's something important about those words. I want to... as we, as we see this story unfolds, before what I've just read to you, Jesus, um, I'm sorry, no, after what I've just read to you, there's another conversation that happens, and we find out that this woman, um, we'll get a picture. I, I thought this was an appropriate picture. She wasn't dressed like that, okay? <laughs> but um, the reason I thought it was appropriate, because it doesn't really, it, it kind of reflects maybe the the. the the heart of the lady. Now, I'm not down on this lady. I'm just stating the fact that she had had five husbands. She was the Elizabeth Taylor of, of the Holy Land. <laughs> she had had five husbands, and the man she was with now, was, she was in a de facto relationship. Now, there's no condemnation in that in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Thanks, Mel. That's right. But the reality is that she, had, she was looking for love in all the wrong places. Would you agree? Okay. Let's love the lady, but let's realize that she kind of, she hadn't found that, she hadn't filled that gaping hole in her heart, and she was looking for a man to fill it, and obviously there was no man who had filled it. Praise God, a man came along that day that was going to fill it. And it wasn't about a romantic relationship, it was about a man who was going to fill it, called Jesus Christ, who touched her life and spoke to her the truth, and all of a sudden she knew more than just the physical love and touch of a man, she knew the touch of God's presence and touch upon her life. And man, things changed for her that day, praise God. But Jesus needed to go there first, he needed. This is the woman he wanted to meet with. So we see that she shouldn't, this conversation between Jesus and this woman shouldn't have happened for many different reasons. (laughs) Number one, men and women didn't kind of talk alone like that. It was culturally not acceptable, okay? It wasn't culturally acceptable. Um, So there was a cultural no-no straight away, let alone them being alone. They're alone talking. Women and men don't talk. Now they're alone. That's culturally not acceptable. But more than anything, there was an incredible hatred between the Samaritans and the Jewish nations. There was incredible bitterness between them. And let me just take one minute to give you a snapshot of why that was and how significant it was to this whole story. Because we see that the Samaritan, um, she was a Samaritan, Jesus was a Jew. 
um, from 722 BC, so 722 years before Christ. The Samaritans, at a moment when Jerusalem, all the people were taken captive and exiled into Babylon. Okay, A lot of the Jews were taken out of Jerusalem and, and captured and taken into Babylon. Some of the Babylonians stayed back, and the Samaritans were like cousins to the Jews. But the Samaritans who remained, they remained there in the land, actually intermarried with the Babylonians. The Babylonians were a really bad nation. They just worshipped many gods. Um, they, had, they had child sacrifice. Babylonians were not a nice nation, and the Samaritans interbred with them. And so the Jewish people saw the Samaritans as um, mixed blood. Okay, Is that understandable? Now, if that wasn't enough... Um, because of their connection with the Babylonians, they became um, polytheistic. That means the worship of many gods. The Samaritans themselves started to worship many different gods. They didn't know. They were confused. And if there was one thing about a Jewish person, they mightn't have got it all right, but there was only one God, creator in heaven and earth. It was our God that we worship today. And so the Jews, this kind of put more separation between the Samaritans and the Jews. They became very poly, polytheistic meaning worship of many gods. And there's only one, as we know. The Samaritans, what happened then was, when the um, Jewish people came back from exile in Babylon, and from Babylon, they wanted to rebuild their temple, of course, in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans come along and said, hey, can we help you rebuild your temple? And the Jews said, no way. You're a mixed blood. You've, kind of, you've um, adulterated yourself with the Babylonians. You're having no part in the, our temple, let alone building it. And so the Samaritans got really upset about that, and they walked away, took their bat and ball, and went home to Samaria and built their own temple on the mountain. If we go back to the first picture, on that mountain again. On Mount... That mountain. <laughs> Not that one, but go back one. Go back one. On Mount Gerizim. And so they built their own temple. Okay, if you... If you um, uh, if you can, we'll go back to that other one, thanks, um, number three slide, and you'll see today, here's the temples. Mount Gerizim, there's the um, um, Samaritan temple that they built. It's still there, in, it's in ruins. And there's the, um, and there's the parts of the old um, temple in Jerusalem today. There's the Wailing Wall, which was part of the old temple. Um, so you can appreciate that there were some differences between the Samaritans. Now, if that wasn't enough... So in 400 BC, the Samaritans made this temple on Mount Gerizim. But if that wasn't enough, the Jewish people really done the wrong thing. The Jewish people in 128 BC before Christ, 128 years before Christ, decided we really don't like these Samaritans. So they marched up the Mount Gerizim one day and they burnt the temple of the Samaritans down. Well, not all of it, obviously, but a good part of it. They burnt it down. Do you think the Samaritans were a little bit ticked off? They got really upset, and they really and and if and if they didn't hate the Jews before, they really, really, really were not excited about Jewish people. And what would happen is Jewish people, when they were going to go from Judea to Galilee, they would actually skirt around the edge, or uh, they they'd make sure they never walked through any townships or any cities within Samaria because they just didn't want to be a part of the people. In actual fact, Jewish people historically say if they did get too close to the towns, the Samaritans people would go and, um, go and detain them and put them in jail for a couple of nights and interrogate them and give them a bit of a rough up, you know, and send them on their way just to remind all the Jewish people, don't come near us. So you could appreciate there was some, there was some ethnic tension. 
Isn't it interesting? We still, unfortunately, in this world today still have it, <laughs> which is unfortunate, but there were some things that, weren't, that were going down that weren't good. So in all of that, now we have a Jewish man walk into a Samaritan township or close to it at the well called Jacob's Well, and he starts to talk to a Samaritan woman. Do you know how much of a no-no that was? That was massive. And yet Jesus didn't go there because he thought it's a good idea. He, go, he went there because there was a need. Because every people group needed to know the fact that Jesus Christ had a plan and purpose for their lives. And even the ones that were, that were most hatred, um, that the Jews had hatred for. What an incredible, gracious God that we serve in Jesus Christ. So it wasn't just a matter of having a little picnic by a well one day. Jesus purposely went there. And ultimately, because of his, his interaction with this lady, she goes back into the town and says, Come and see the man that's told me everything about my life. They came out. Many people were touched. He, he, he hung around in that town for a couple of days. And because of that, we see Samaritans become born-again Christians. I believe if you go back through history, you'll see people who've, who've come from that heritage. What an amazing thing. So in verse 20... That's not really where I want to go, but I want to set this foundation this morning. Is that cool? Verse 20 of, um, of John 4, the conversation turns to the places of worship, as you've, I've read to you. And he brings up about the temple worship, and, um, or she brings up about temple worship. And she says, you know, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, um, talking about Mount Gerizim. And, um, and she reminds Jesus unnecessarily that Jews claim um, Jerusalem is the proper place to worship and one order to worship. You say the temple in Jerusalem, we say our temple up here on this mountain, you know. Um, and she tries to make a big thing of it. Jesus was neither offended by her comment nor did he avoid her comment. But he used it to impart further spiritual truth to her. And he told her the time was coming when neither would worship on Mount Gerizim nor in Jerusalem. That neither of those places would be the place of worship. What was Jesus really saying? Well, then he said something which is quite remarkable that we want to just drill down on this morning. Because Jesus informed the woman that God no longer had a certain place for earth, on earth for worship. Aren't you glad today that we don't have to make some pilgrimage to Jerusalem to go and worship God? Did you know this morning you could actually even come to this old shell of a building that's just what we call our church building but you're the church we can actually find God's here as well praise God for that isn't that good you can actually go home today and you can actually go in your bedroom and just worship him or whatever you may do and you'll find God will be there as well praise God for that because but what Jesus said in John 4 is the reason we can worship this morning the reason we can be together because he set the precedent right here and he says there's no place on earth where worship will be. It's not a location anymore. He said the truth is it's not a location that's significant. And he said something very significant. He said, you know what? True worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. He put two incredible pillars of the faith right out there. He said spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. Do you know what? As soon as Jesus said that, he was declaring something incredibly <laughs> amazing because the reality is when he talked about spirit you know what Jesus was really having a go at Jesus was having a go at his own race because the Jewish people by the time Jesus walked on the earth had reduced worship and praise to a form and in a geographical location of the temple in Jerusalem had had, had basically made it an outward form but no inner heart desire the Jewish people had, 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 had turned worship of God 
into something that was a ritual in a ceremony, and it just crossed the T's, dotted the I's. As long as we've done it, that's worship. And Jesus, when he said, we're going to worship in spirit, knew quite well that there's one thing the Jewish people had lost, and that's the spirit of God in their worship. It was just a form and just a, a rhetoric that they were now involved in. And so Jesus is having a right old go at the Jewish people, his own race of people. Um, it was an outer form. They had no heart for God anymore. They'd reduced worship to geographical locations. And that's why Jesus said to the woman, it's in this, we're going to worship in spirit. We need to know that's how we're going to worship. Um, and the Jews at that time were saying, you know, well, the Jews were saying, well, God's not up on that Mount Gerizim. God's in the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, no, 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 neither. See, the Jews had located it. God is saying, I can operate there. I could operate anywhere. I could operate on that mountain. I can operate in the, in the, uh, actually in the temple in Jerusalem. But you know what? The reality is more than a location. I want to operate in your heart. And that's what worship, he says. It's not a location, a geographical location. It's the location of your heart, he said, that's really important because it's through the Spirit of God and your desire and your passion for him that God will touch your life. And it's through worship that happens. And he says, you know, it's what's happening in here, not what's happening around you and outside of you. And as I started to contemplate this thought, I had to ask myself the question, and it's a question I think we should all ask this morning, God is, because David asked himself this question, King David, remember he wrote some 79 of the Psalms, and he wrote in Psalm 139 verse 7, he says, David had this revelation, a credible revelation, that was going to, that David realized that God wasn't just here, but he was not just there, he was everywhere, because in Psalm 139 verse 7, he says, where could I go from your spirit, Lord? Where could I flee from your presence? The answer is, Nowhere. It's always everywhere. And that's pretty significant, folks, because it's an astonishing revelation for the people of God of the Old and New Testament. They never had that concept before because God was always in a location. Now God's saying, Jesus is saying, he's everywhere. You can worship him wherever you are. And it's not when an outward form, it's an inward heart desire. And I asked myself the question as I, as I came to this understanding, where do I like to locate God sometimes? Where do we like to locate God sometimes? Do we sometimes locate God in a certain style of church or worship? We say, well, have you ever walked away from a service and said, man, God was there today as if he wasn't there last week as well? Or maybe there's a certain style of song. Oh, I love those songs. I love those, I love those older songs, you know, um, you know, those old hymns, God's in those, but those new songs, I, God's not in that. What rubbish. Because <laughs> God's not located in a song, God's located in your heart. I love old songs. Now, when I sing old songs, sometimes it stirs up memories and passions of when I was younger, and I remember how God touched me as I was worshiping through that song. In that, I agree. But God's no less in a style or form. God's not in a position. He's not in a posture. You know, some people say, well, I just sense God when I lay down on the ground prostrate. I mean, that's brilliant. Sometimes I won't raise my hand. Sometimes I just stand there in stillness. Sometimes I get loud. You know, I want to tell you um, the truth and the reality is if you need a certain service or a certain amount of time or a certain posture or a certain style or a certain song, that's okay. But please realize, don't think that's what God needs to bless you. Because the reality is, 
what you need to sense is his presence. That's, and, and, and you're looking for a certain thing. That's fine, but that's not God. That's you. And God will graciously pour out his love in a certain style and passion and, and, thing, and all that as well. Please understand he's there all the time. He's all there all the time. And whatever style or song or position or posture you take, he wants to, for you just to open your heart, man, and he's there. He's there. So maybe I've located him, I thought, for a while in those type of things. And I, and I just thought, Father, I don't want to locate you just in something. I want to realize that you're everywhere. I mean, God can speak through a donkey, it says, an example in the Old Testament. Hey, are you cool this morning? Sometimes I've discovered I can locate God in a certain day. Have you ever heard of the saying, you know, Sunday is the Lord's day? Now, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. I acknowledge that it's a great place to be on a Sunday. I think every person, I think every Australian should be found in a place of worship on a Sunday. There's great churches across our city. Pick one, go for it, stay there and be planted. But, you know, I want to tell you, if God's not the God of the Monday through the Saturday as well, if they're not the Lord's day, God help us. I need God on a Monday, Tuesday as well. It's just that sometimes we don't acknowledge him as much as maybe we do on the Sunday. Do you know what I'm saying? Have I located him sometimes in a day? And so I'll give God that day, but, you know, Monday, that's my day. That's my day, you know, day off or a day of work and, you know, and sometimes if we have that attitude, then we change the way we do life. And God wants a consistent lifestyle of worship for him every day. And yet if we leave him just on a Sunday and leave the Monday out and say, well, I'll just, you know, um, you know I'm going to go and do my way. And once I get amongst my mates, I can just do what I like, how I want, you know, and things start to get a bit of a hand and kind of God gets left on the bench, you know, not on the playing field of your life. And we need to realize he's a God through Monday through to Saturday as well. How would it be if God said, I don't operate on any other day that Sunday? You're praying to me on Tuesday? Sorry, come back Sunday. God's not like that, is he? He's not like a doctor's appointment book. You ring up, hey, I, I need an appointment tomorrow. I've got a toothache, you know, dentist. Well, can you come in um, um, Tuesday? Actually, dentists and glads are pretty good because they'll often say, well, if you're an emergency, come straight in. That's cool. But, you know, if... He's not some doctor's appointed book. God doesn't say, well, sorry, come back Wednesday. You know, but God never does that to us, but sometimes they do that to God. It's, it's not, God's not located in a day. He's located in a life, and he wants to be located in your life. God's not located in a circumstance. We can assume that God could be in good circumstances, and then what happens when bad circumstances happen? Sometimes we think, well, God, where are you? God, God, God is, we can assume that God is in the good times. He's smiling on us. And, oh, I must be doing the right thing. And then, and then we have a bad situation. And we assume that God has left us, and that's not the case at all. God hasn't left us. It's a bit like that, that story in the Bible where the disciples were in the boat and Jesus is asleep in the back. It actually says it goes... It says in Scripture that it goes to the trouble of saying Jesus was asleep on a pillow. Wow. He's asleep on the pillow in the back of a boat. I think it's a bit bigger than we think. I don't think it was a 14-foot tinny. I think it was a pretty reasonable-sized boat. And there was a storm happening. And if you remember, that, it got pretty rough, and the disciples are trying to row against it, and, the, and they're trying all the things, and then the waves start to break over the bow and over the side and fill the boat with water. And Jesus is still asleep. It always amazes me how Jesus can sleep through storms. Um, 
I don't do so good at sleeping through storms. I don't seem to have that much peace through storms, but I'm glad I'm connected to a God that has a lot of peace in the midst of my storms. So I just need something greater than myself. Um, so we see, we see the disciples desperately try to fight the storm and the water starts to fill the boat. And, and, and they finally turn to Jesus and they assume something about Jesus because he hasn't woken up and because God hasn't stopped the storm and Jesus is actually in the boat with them and he should do something and they assume that Jesus doesn't really not interested in them and they assume that Jesus doesn't even care and they haven't even asked the guy. That, have you ever assumed, well, God, have you ever you know, kind of worked it out in your mind what you're going to say to someone and, and, you, and, and you walk up to them and say, well, I, I know you don't care for me anyway. It's a bit like that. And then they go, what? What? You haven't said a word. You haven't asked me any questions. You get yourself all worked up about something, and, and when you find out, it's not, not like that at all. It's a bit like that with Jesus and the disciples in the boat. They're kind of all worked up, and they think, and they say, Jesus, and they wake him up, and they say, don't you care that we're about to drown? You know, right there, Jesus probably had a great opportunity to say, actually, I don't. <laughs> no, but he didn't say that. <laughs> he didn't say that. Um, he could have been really funny. Um, and said, no, he didn't. You know, he just stilled the water and the waves and the wind. Amazing, wasn't it? But the reality is, is they assumed that God, even though Jesus was in the boat, he really wasn't there with them. They assumed that. Which is, um, they assumed that he seemingly didn't want to help them. Uh, because they assumed that, you know, God... You're located in the good times, you're there, that's why we're having good times, because you bless us, but you're not located in the bad times. In actual fact, God is everywhere, come on, God is in the good times, in the bad times. Um, just because God doesn't take you out of the consequences of your bad decisions doesn't mean he won't be with you in the consequences of your bad decisions. Can I say that again? Just because God doesn't take you out of the consequences of your bad decisions, it doesn't mean he won't be with you in the consequences of your bad decisions. I've had some, made some pretty bad decisions, and I've had to face the consequences. And I thought, God, you're not here. God's always been there. It's just that I've never acknowledged him in the consequences of my bad decisions. And when I do, I find that I look at the bad decisions and start to turn it around. And the consequences, I, I, I'm more, more willing to accept and, and respond in a positive way and not kind of raise my fist to God and say, I'm upset with you, but raise my heart to God and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. As we worship him. We just have to acknowledge him and don't relegate God to good circumstances only because he's not located in just the good. He's located in what he faced on a day-to-day -day basis. Why did he bother to go to a woman who was five husbands, de facto relationship? Why did he bother? Because he loved her with a sincere love as he loves humanity and he loves you this morning. Some of us sometimes may feel like that woman. We're just, we've messed up, made bad choices, but you know, I want to tell you it's redeemable through the Jesus Christ. Our messed up lives are redeemable because he sets us back up new and whole and healthy and he blesses us as we come to him and worship him and praise him. I'm so thankful. But God, don't locate God in just a position or a posture or a style of worship. Don't locate God just in a, in a day. Don't locate God just in a circumstance. I, I remember one Sunday, uh, it wasn't a Sunday, it was a weekday, I was called up to the um, uh, Martyr Hospital, and as I went into the Martyr Hospital, I rejoiced with this family because they just had a baby, 
And so we had a great time of rejoicing and, and you know, just being an old Christian family. And this is many, many years ago, like over about 13, 14 years ago. And that day was just a great morning. I just I spent about half an hour with them and we prayed and we thanked God together and, and they wanted me to be there and it was wonderful. And then I got a phone call on my mobile and it said, could you please come to the base hospital, which is just a 50 meter walk up to the base hospital. And there I found a family, um, a Christian family who had just had, the lady just miscarried her baby. Talk about confused emotions. I'm kind of now, I'm praising God over here and rejoicing and now I'm grieving with this family. I think that's what the verse means when it says, Laugh with those who laugh and cry with those who cry. And so I started to ask myself the question, God, were you in the birth of that child that was so happy and now you're not in this, you're not in this miscarriage? And God kind of spoke to my heart and said, guess what? When you walk the 50 meters from between the martyr and the base hospital, I actually walked with you. And I was there in the midst of the problem as much as the happy time. I was there in the midst of the birth as well as the miscarriage. I said, God, but they don't think so. And he says, well, you're the messenger. Grow up and let them know that God's still there and he loves them and cares for them. I said, okay, God, I got the message. He says, I'm struggling a little bit with this. My emotions are everywhere. And he says, well, learn. Learn that I don't locate me to a circumstance. I'm there for them. And praise God, you know, you know it was a hard time, but you know, that family grew through that and, and the difficulty they face. Um, I want you to know this morning that God's in the midst of the summer times, you know, the growth times, the exciting times, and he's in the winter times, and there's no growth, and there's just a, sometimes he don't locate him, so we need to be thankful for that. So I say all that just to finish about the, in relation to the Jewish people, they located God to a, to a, 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 a geographical position, they had no outward passion of worship. Uh, sorry, they had all outward passion, but no inward desire for God. And now Jesus, in talking to the woman at the well, he not only addresses the, his own race, the Jewish people, but he addresses the Samaritans. And he says, you've got to worship in spirit, but you've got to worship in truth. He said, you Samaritans, this is what is basically, he was having a go at the Samaritans now. He said, when he said truth, because the Samaritans had set up a temple on a hill outside the, their township, and said, that's where God is. But they had many gods that actually isolated themselves from the body of believers, the Jewish people. And they said, well, and the Jews didn't help them. They gave them a hard time. And so as they isolated themselves, they just, their, their belief systems became so much erroneous. In other words, in great error and false doctrines and false truths. And I mean, they took on some of the beliefs of the Babylonians and had all these gods and and the Samaritans, they were once so close to God, and now they're so far away because they isolated themselves. And they took up, and, and the truth is they didn't have truth anymore. They had false truth. What they thought was truth, but it wasn't right. So that's why Jesus said, Spirit, Jews, truth, Samaritans. You need truth. It's not that the Samaritans didn't need spirit, but boy, they had taken up so much false belief systems. Um. And their form of worship was false. They had no scriptural authority. They had no scriptural basis for their worship or their desire for all these gods. They started their own religion. They were carrying out their own belief systems. They had man-made belief systems. Now, sometimes I've discovered that we like to design our own concept of God and put together a God that suits me. And, and it's a free country. You can do that if you want to. But don't call him the God of creation because the God that I designed that suits me 
and the God that I take out when I see scriptures that mm, don't like that bit so much, and I kind of take that out of my belief system, and that bit, and that bit. I don't, well, that's a bit hard. And it's not so much as Aussie that we take it out, we just ignore it. Don't want to know about that bit. And what we do is we design our own God, and he becomes a cardboard cutout, and that's our God. And I want to say that God's not in it, just like he wasn't in the Samaritan worship. He won't be in our worship because we've designed something that suits us. We've taken the nice bits and left out the bad bits. And so what happens is, um, what we do is, I want to just find this, um, because it's a great thought, and I wrote it down, and now I can't find it. It's here. Hang on. We, we, sometimes, see, when we design a God of our own desires, we don't, then we don't have a God that will challenge us. Then we don't have a God that will say no to us. And when I read scripture and I read the good parts and the bad parts, the scripture actually reproves me and corrects me. But when I design my own God, I don't have to get reproved and correct because I've got my own God that I don't have to deal with those areas. And so we become the God, we worship a God of Samaria because that's what they've done. So it's a challenge. Not only that, but here's the other truth about the Sumerian um, race of people. is they, had, they didn't submit in true worship because they isolated themselves from the body of believers, in a sense, from the Jewish race. And, said, and, and once again, I acknowledge the Jews didn't help them, but they kind of said, well, and when, they, and when you get people who isolate themselves from the body of Christ... They go out on a limb and they start to, maybe they may start well, but they start to have these false thoughts. And because they've got no one to bounce thoughts off or the body of Christ or to have some area of oversight or protection or submission, they find that they just bounce off and, all, and they just go off on different tangents about little things. And it creates so much pain because they haven't got the truth because they've isolated themselves. And that's what the Samaritans done. They, they went off, isolated themselves from the Jewish nation, which was worshiping the one true God. And they become so false in their belief systems. And unfortunately, they ended up in much pain and heartache because of that. See, and we see people do the same. And so what I'm saying is true worship, we are better together, folks. Because when we worship together, and I'm not just talking about singing songs, I'm talking about understanding God's word, prayer together, uh, inspired by scriptures, just connection, fellowship, encouragement. When you stay within the body of believers, and I'm talking about the churches of the living God that we have today all over the place, whatever, great denominations and that. Uh, when you stay within that, you find that there's a, there is a connecting together and there's a worship together of God and there's iron sharpening iron. And when you have all of a sudden find something that doesn't quite fit and you go and talk to someone else who you trust and they, and they tell you the truth and you realign yourself with God again because you're in the safety of the body of believers. That's why I think church is a great place. It's not the perfect place. It's just a good place. And so worship, worship here, we're better together. We're better together. And the Samaritans discovered they, that's why they got into so much error. <clears throat> Have you ever noticed in Psalms, many times it says, in Psalm 95 verse 6, it says, let us worship and bow down. It wasn't let just let me. Now, we, I will worship and bow down without you guys, but it's great to do it together too. And then it says, 
Let's kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Let us kneel before the Lord. In Psalm 132, verse 7, let us go into his tabernacle, his temple or the place of worship. Let us worship. Let us, us, us worship at his footstool. There's something about connection and not just singing, but connection in the word, connection in fellowship, connection in truth, connection in unity and love for one another and caring for each other. And when we do that, we find that our worship and our everything that encompasses worship, we actually stay aligned with God and his word because we have other people and brothers and sisters that help us to do that. Does that make sense? See, worship is powerful. When I worship with you guys... You know, I stay in alignment, I believe, and I'm more likely to. It doesn't mean I mightn't have some false thoughts or thoughts, but when we can bounce them off each other, then we can stay. And I want to tell you, if you've got a thought, why don't you share it with someone? It mightn't be right, but at least come into a place of where you can at least bounce it off someone and find out whether it is right or not and willing to accept the answers. And we, it says, submitting to one another in the body of believers. Whew. When I worship, when I gather with you guys, I gather full appreciation of other people's understandings of God. Do you know that you have an understanding of God and someone else has got another facet of what God's like in their lives? And as you connect together, you see something more of God because of what, through that person. That's why it's so good to see different cultures and races in our church. I love that. I want to see more. Could you just win some more different cultures to the Lord, please? You know, when we join together, the facet of our belief systems are beautiful and we, we see different facets of God through other people. How do we see God? Through other people, through his word, through worship together. It's amazing. Every tribe, every tongue come together. Do you know the Pentecostal second chapter of Acts? It just wasn't one race of people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. There was many different races of people got baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues that day. And people come along and said, I hear them speaking in my languages. There was many languages. The many facets of God was reflected through the many different races of people. And people grew in their faith because of that. In actual fact, the church grew, it says, because of that. So that's what true worship is when we come together. And the Samaritans lost it. Praise God that we praise the day that we'll realize how much we need each other. Because I see, when I connect with other brothers and sisters, I see the reality more of God because sometimes they worship a bit different to me. And not just the singing, you know, but singing can be part of it. Praise God if we didn't have different races on our stage worshiping, wouldn't we be less of a people for it? I love um, this story, and we'll finish with this this morning. The Commonwealth Games. I enjoyed the Commonwealth Games. I enjoyed the lawn bowls the most. It was incredible. Lawn bowls. I mean, where do you get a guy rip his shirt off and start to dance around the court? They didn't. The Commonwealth Games. There were some great moments in the Commonwealth Games and you know what the greatest moments I discovered just wasn't the gold medals, but it was the sportsmanship that I noticed at all different levels happening in the Commonwealth Games. Did you see these three ladies? Did you know what country they come from? They come from Australia. Did you know they were in the 10,000 meters? Did you know that these three ladies' names are Madeline, Celia, and let me get the last name. What was the other name? Celia, Madeline. Eloise, she's reading my notes. 
And you know what? They're in the 10,000 meters. Do you know none of the three Australian ladies got a place in that race? They didn't win it. They didn't come first, second, or third. But you know what they did? They stayed five minutes after every athlete had left the arena for the 10,000 meters race. Five minutes they waited for this precious lady from a South African country called S-O-T-H. Best South African to know the name of that. What was it called? So. Soweto? Surrey? Is it just a city? She comes from that city. Her name is Lino Choka. She didn't, she came last. And the three Australian ladies stayed on the track. And as she came across the line, they each gave her a hug. And they say, well done. And the Telegraph newspaper wrote this about it. They said this, the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games won't be remembered for who won the gold medals in the 10,000 metres women's race, but for the moment of sportsmanship that was shown by the three Australian ladies at the end of the race. I don't even know who won the gold medal, but I do remember two of these names. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? I want to just say that, you know, the most enriching part, you know who I reckon had the most enriching experience in the 10,000 meter race was these four ladies. Do you know why? They made it enriching because they connected, they supported, and they encouraged each other. And they celebrated that they ran and they competed even though they didn't win or even get a placing. But they just connected. Do you think there'll always be a bond between them? Oh, definitely. There were some other wonderful words said, but you'll have to read the article. I want to just say that when we connect together. When we come with a heart not of condemnation, but a heart of support and encouragement with one another, we'll find that worship is so much more sweeter. We'll learn and understand. We'll enjoy the rain, the run together. Paul says, run the race. Run the race with perseverance. One thing I do is forgetting those things which are behind. I press forward for the mark. And as we run together, I think there's such a powerful testimony of a team that's willing to support each other. And when the race is over, I want to say that one of the most celebrated moments is not standing on the dais to win the gold medal, but the celebrating moment is when we stand together and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You crossed the line and you made it. You might be last, but you know, in God's word, it says, because the last will be first. <laughs> prepared this one beforehand. So how about we stand this morning? We just realized that God would say to us today that I want you to worship in spirit. And when you think of this verse, when you read this passage and read this whole story, would you see that spirit is, is referring to the location of our heart? And then he says, I want you to worship in truth. I don't want you to set up your own little God or design the cut-out cardboard of God. I want you so that, you're, that I'll never be a God that could actually bring, say no to you, or never a God that could actually say, well, don't do that. But I'll be a God that loves you enough. It says, I discipline those I love. I'll be the true God in your heart. I'll be the one and only God. So when we see spirit and truth, may we be mindful of where our heart's located and where our head's located. And then we're saying, God, it's you. It's you. So we're going to just take one song this morning. We're just going to worship just for a moment. 
And in this time of worship, I just want you to ask yourself the question. Be sincere with yourself. Of, say, God, I just be real with him because God loves a real heart. And when you come before him honestly and real, he, he just runs towards you. He loves sincerity. He doesn't care what you did yesterday if it was wrong. He just cares about what your heart attitude towards is it today and where you need to go today. It's not like, you know. So let's take just for this moment before we close this service, say, Father, let my location and my heart be the most important thing and not the location of all these other things. Let, let my, Father, my, the truth be that my head would be in the game, that I'd know the truth and, and not be just caught up in some erroneous belief system that's so wrong and it'd take me left field, but stay committed to you in the truth and in that, in the body of Christ's believers. Come on, let's just worship one more song this morning. Come on, church, give him your best. Thank you, Lord. Love and dear the nation.